coming to you from the lab, where we talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Riding Shotgun is my co-host, Big Keith. I'm your host, Mike, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I speak to Jeff Kirkham from Ready Man, discuss building a better human weapon, and review new gear. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, by my side, the straw that stirs the drink, the big man, Keith. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing good. I just how many of these one-liners do you have for for me? Is I guess it, you're going to have to wait you, and see. Are you going through like a rotation or? Eh, maybe next week I'll give. I think next uh, episode I'll give you a break and I won't come up with one. But I, I feel <laughs> I got to I got to keep in your toes. You don't know what's coming. I, no, I love it. It gives me. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to talk to you about to- something else, and then you you give me this one liner, and I totally forget what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me get you back on track. Are you drinking old reliable tonight, screwdriver? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am. I, you know, like I said, it's just I'm, I'm like a simple man when it comes to that these days. All I right. just want a nice vodka drink, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm good. Good for you. I'm, st- I'm I, sticking with old reliable as well. So I got vodka and cranberry. So I do have vodka. some exciting news that I wanted to share with you. I haven't talked to you in a, a couple of days, and go uh, for it. I, I bought a shotgun reloader finally. Ah, congratulations. We got to yeah. tell Big Dave that uh, that you got one. That's cool. Yeah, I'm going to work on getting uh, my uh, space all set up and uh, start getting the material, get the workbench put up. But I had, uh, I had a hard time finding 12-gauge ammo recently, and I had been shooting some trap. Actually, Rebecca, my wife, came with me to shoot trap recently. She really enjoyed it. Cool. And um, I... I uh, had a hard time finding ammo, and I was like, I, I don't want to be in this spot anymore. I- I'm done. I'm, I'm very cool. So we will look forward to a gear review on that down the road. Definitely. So listen, I want to get into it. We have a really great guest tonight. But before I do, I want to give a huge shout out. I think this is super cool. Um, when I look at our analytics, I look at where people are listening from. And we've had a few people from, believe it or not, from from Europe and stuff. But we actually have a pretty big growing little niche in New Zealand of all places, which I think is really cool. So if you're out there in New Zealand listening, we appreciate it and uh, keep tuning in. I think it's super cool that uh, that you guys are, are listening to us. Yeah, that's a, that's awesome. You told me that the other night and I was like, New Zealand? Yeah, that's oh, really right. cool. I, I really, I really what is dig New, it. So. What, is New, what is New Zealand known for? I, I don't really know. They call them Kiwis, don't they? I don't I don't know. If you're from New Zealand, hit us up at thegunexperiment at gmail.com and let us know what you guys are known for. I want to hear from you guys. Anyway, for the rest of you out there listening, New Zealand or not, if you like the content that we're creating, we'd appreciate it if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review as well as a comment. I want to hear from you guys. And of course, we'll read the comments in future episodes. So without further ado, Our guest tonight spent 29 years as a Green Beret, four years with the DEA, has authored several books, has several patents credit to him, and is the creative force behind ReadyMan.com. Please welcome Jeff Kirkham. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a uh, it's a pleasure. I uh, I have to say that your resume is very impressive, and uh, it is an honor to have you on the show. Uh, Well, if you've lived as long as I have, you'll rack up a similar resume, I'm sure. (laughs) So let's start, uh, let's go with Green Beret. So you were Green Beret for uh, about 29 years. Um, So first off, thank you very much for your service. It is very much appreciated. Yes, thank you. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I actually I joined in 1987, um, probably before a lot of the listeners were even born. But um, I was seven, uh, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> so you were alive. That's great. <laughs> you know, when I when I retired, the the uh, the gal that was kind of doing my paperwork, you know, she was like, "What's your you know what's your service date? Your entry service date?" And I was, you know, I told her January 31st, 1987. And she kind of stopped and looked at me, and I and I said, "Yeah, you probably weren't alive, were you?" And she goes, "No, Master Sergeant, I wasn't alive." <laughs> <laughs> so t- take us back. Um, what made you decide a to join the military, and you know, in particular, how did how did you get into the process to become a Green Beret? Like, what what was that process like for you? So to- totally random. Um, you know, my dad was in the Air Force and had been in Vietnam. Um, where he had worked uh, cross border into Laos and Cambodia with one of the programs that the Air Force had, and he had worked with uh, special forces, you know, Green Berets. Then, so, anyways, it you know, I grew up moving every two or three years my whole life, and um, anyways, one of the places we were living at, I one of my buddies, you know, I think I was in like the fifth grade or third, fourth grade. And, um, one of my buddies, dad was a Sergeant major, um, in the special forces. And I just remember thinking like, holy cow, you know, at that age, you don't know anything. Right. But I, I remember thinking, holy cow, this guy, this guy's awesome. And at that point, I just, for whatever reason, up until that point to the chagrin of my mother, I wanted to be a mountain man. And, uh, and, uh, she, you know, my mom's this sweet old lady from the mountains of North Carolina and, and she was just could not understand the whole mountain man thing. And then I, and then I met Sergeant Major Butte and, um, it, it was like, no, nah, I'm going to be a Green Beret. You know, and of course my mom, I, I don't know if she hated the mountain man thing worse or the Green Beret thing. And, and, uh, so like literally my whole life, it was like, okay, I'm getting ready to, uh, to go into the military. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to be and I know where I want to go. So the process for becoming a green bright, you know, spec ops, obviously uh, it, it's difficult and it's challenging. That goes without saying, but can you just, I, I, you don't have to obviously go into great detail, but like what, what is it like um, going through that process, both mentally and physically that might be different from, let's say like obviously basic training or your, your basic uh, um, instruction for, for doing whatever you're going to do when you're in the military, how, how much more difficult and what's involved in it? You know, it, there's a big misnomer about what special operations selection is. You know, the the SEALs do a selection, the Rangers do a selection, you know, Delta Force does a selection, everybody does a selection to, uh, you know, the PJs, combat controllers, all do selection to get in their stuff. The The number one thing, well, there's there's two things that they're looking for. One, they're, you know, you, you reach the minimum level of what they say, you know, physically fit is, you know, mentally competent, um, or intelligence level. And then, and then after that, and, and, and you're basically at a, at a, you know, an even playing field, but the biggest thing that they're looking for is men and, and women that get along with others and more than that won't quit. That's it. They want yeah, I was- they want people that can get along and won't quit. Yeah, that last part, the 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 sort of no quit. I, I find that that is um, that's interesting because I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of uh, 
YouTube videos like Jocko Willink. Are you familiar with Jocko? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. And like, you know, a lot of the same, what you're saying, like you hear that same thing um, throughout the spec ops community in terms of it's, it seems like it's really um, the fiber you're made of, you know, in terms of like your ability to kind of put up with really bad situations that that seems to be the one common theme. Um, there's bigger guys, there's smaller guys, you know, I'm sure there's guys that are brighter. There's guys that, you know, their education is maybe not as high, but that seems to be the one common thread with your community. And they're not, you know, special operations isn't looking for the fastest, the strongest, the most accurate, the most intelligent or any of that stuff. I mean, they're looking for people that can get along because you, because you work in small teams that heavily rely on each other. And then, and then somebody that won't quit, like one of the worst insults that you can give somebody in the special operations community is to call them a quitter. You know, child thief is probably the first one. And then a quitter is right up there next to child thief. And, and I mean, that's just, nobody wants to work with somebody that they know when, when it looks bad and, you know, when it's dark out there and it doesn't look like you're going to make it. Nobody wants to be with somebody that's going to quit. They want to know that the, the, the soldier, 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 sailor, Marine to their left or right is going to continue to push forward no matter what. And that is really what defines a special operations soldier. Well, sure, because you're depending on one another. So you got to know the guy, you know, to the left or right has, is going to stick by your side, I assume. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. What, what was the advice your dad gave you, Jeff, before, uh, doing this adventure? <laughs> uh, that, that's a good question. So my, you know, it's funny is when I was getting ready to join. So I joined when I was 17 years old and I did a split entry, um, split entry thing, which meant that I went, I, I, you know, this was back before the internet and computers, you know, the, com- the only computers that existed were the old DOS system where it was a black screen with green letters. So like military recruiters, army recruiters could get along, could get away with far more stuff than they, they can today. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm still like all the stories you hear about recruiters screwing you over. I had a phenomenal recruiter, Chuck Rackham. He's out there. I actually, I just spoke at uh, a thing he invited me to here a few months back. Great guy squared me away, set me on the path. And, um, anyways, Chuck managed to finagle it that I went to basic training and jump school, you know, paratrooper school during my junior break. So between my junior and senior year of high school, um, you know, I became a paratrooper, which I mean, could never happen today. At least I don't think it could today. That's That sounds pretty, uh, pretty tight. It was, it was pretty, I came back, you know, I was about a week late in school or whatever, but but, um, yeah, I mean, just imagine like, you know, walking down the halls going, I'm a, you know, I'm a U.S. Army paratrooper, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> the, the cocky self-conceit that was built off of absolutely nothing at that point. But, you know, it was just one of those kind of one of those spike moments in life that you have. Right. So now you're also an, uh, an author. You've written several books on everything from apocalyptic fiction, survival guides and operational planning and leadership. Um, was writing something you were always passionate about or interested in, or did that come later in life? And which genre is your favorite since you kind of dabble in a little bit of, you know, I don't want to say everything, but uh, quite a few different genres. So kind of long story short as I can make it. Um, 
I was sitting on a helicopter one night and um, we're, we're getting ready. I was in Afghanistan and we're getting ready to fly in and do an assault on a target. And um, there's a guy that was flying. I, I won't say his name here, but he had been flying. He had, he came out of Vietnam, a legend. And so here we are fast forward. I think it was 2005, 2007. I forget the, the years have kind of meshed together in the war. And, um, anyways, I'm, I'm sitting on the headphones and I'm, and I'm listening to him and he's going through the pilot's checklist. And, um, I remember thinking, holy cow, here's a guy that has been flying literally longer than I've been alive. And he still goes step by step by step through the pilot's checklist. And, and, and I was thinking, why don't we have that for assaults, for infantry assaults, for, you know, for what we're getting ready to fly in and do at this point, we, we have the five paragraph operations order format, but it's a guideline. It's not a checklist. And when you're tired, um, you know, you're pressed for time, you tend to forget things. And so I came back and I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to make one. And so I started writing it and something that, you know, I was like, oh, this will probably take me a couple of weeks and I'll write it out. And, um, and then I found out it was like, man, it actually, it took me six months to put wow. it together, um, you know, because I wanted to make sure that it was right. And so that was the first one, the small unit leaders planning guide, which is a checklist. So it's warning order, operations order, Frago, as well as coordination checklist. And then I throw some other stuff that's, that's in there that's good to know for, you know, for anybody doing infantry operations. So that's, that's really what started me down the path. And then because of that, Stackpole hit me up to write the 14th edition of the Combat Field Leaders Guide, which if you're an NCO and you've gone through the NCO in the Army and you've gone through the PX, you've probably seen the book sitting on the shelf. You know, and both of those books, if you have insomnia, are fantastic because they will put you straight to sleep. <laughs> And then, um, you know, they're very dry. It's all military planning. And then, um, you know, about 2000 and uh, about 2010, you know, at, at that point, I was about six, seven years into the war going back and forth, back and forth to the war. And um, I was looking for a way, you know, maybe it was even a little earlier than that, but um, I was looking for a way to kind of decompress because what we do is we would you know, we, I'd wake up, you know, about eight or nine o'clock in the morning, depending on what time we got in the night before I would train with my guys. And then about two o'clock in the afternoon, the target packets would start coming in. We'd go into the planning process. I'd link up with the mission platoons because I worked primarily with indigenous forces. I'd link up with the, with the commanders, start the planning process. And then as soon as the sun went down, we're either jumping on helicopters or trucks or whatever and going in and, and uh, assaulting targets. And then we'd get back at about 3 a.m., depending on how long the target or what happened on the target. Sometimes we were coming back, you know, just before light and then um, hit the rack. But you can imagine you come back from an assault and um, you're, you're jacked up. I mean, you're jacked up on caffeine. You're jacked up on adrenaline. adrenaline. You're, you're yeah. jacked up on... So it takes you a minute to kind of chill out. Well, it, you're not going to go running at, you know, four o'clock in the morning. You're, it, you, you're too tired. You're, you're spun up, but you're too tired to go to the gym and work out. And, you know, you could, you could have a beer or something, maybe if you sneak one or something, but um, not really a healthy way to decompress. So I, I had heard from my brother 
that the guy who wrote the Jack Reaper novels, I, I have no idea if this is true or not, but it's what my brother told me. And so I ran with it and he said, um, he's like, yeah, the guy that wrote the Jack Reaper novels, he used to use that as a means to decompress. And so yeah. I said, oh, I'll, I'll start, I'll start writing as a way to, you know, to kind of downshift. And so that's I did. interesting. That's interesting. Cause it, you know, it, writing work? is one of, yeah, one of the writing is one of those things that I feel like, you know, it's just you in your own head. So you kind of ha- it kind of like brings you down a little bit. I, I, I could see how that would work. Did oh it work? God. As you said. It, 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 absolutely. I mean, you get lost, you know, I was writing a science fiction novel. I mean, you know, big surprise. I was about a special forces guy that was in Afghanistan fighting monsters. I would have never guessed. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and and I'll tell you, you just get lost in your own fantasy world in your head. And I remember, you know, looking at the clock and it's like, Holy crap, I've been writing for two hours. I, I need to go to bed, you know, and I'd go to bed and boom, I was out and felt great. It was unbelievably, you know, just a cathartic experience. And so I, you know, I'm about, 250, 300 pages into it. And, and anyways, fast forward, you know, we haven't published, I haven't published that novel yet. I don't know if I ever will, but, um, but fast forward, um, Jason Ross and I were talking and Jason and I own ready man together. And, um, he kept asking me, he, he'd never been in the military, never been a cop and, and had asked, you know, was like, he's very accomplished outdoorsman. I was like, how do you think the world could stumble? How do you think the world can end? And, you know, and I was like, well, I'll, you know, over a glass of whiskey, of course. And I was like, well, I'll tell you how I think it could happen. And, um, you know, over weeks and weeks and weeks of us getting together, he finally, he was like, man, you should, we should write this down. This could be a great novel. And, um, and I was like, yeah, we should. And I showed him my book and he's like, holy cow, we could do this. And anyways, has it been well-received Jeff? Yeah, Black Autumn was actually is very well received. We're a bestseller on Amazon, um, you know, for a very short period of time, but still kind of strokes the ego. And um, sure, we've sold, uh, geez, I don't know, I think we've sold sixty thousand books at this point, so that have that have gone out, and and so it, it's great. I mean, it's a lot of people in the post apocalyptic genre enjoy it. There's a lot of nuggets of knowledge that are in there. Um, because we wrote it as a wargaming exercise that just got turned into a novel. So is that your favorite genre, the post-apocalyptic? You know, I, I don't know if that's my favorite genre or not. It's, it's definitely, it's fun. Um, you know, but my passion, because special forces were really, were, were teachers, were advisors, were mentors. Um, and so advise, train, lead. And, um, I, I really like, passing information over to people that I think appreciate it and could use that to better their lives or, you know, help them survive or, or something like that. And so that's actually probably more that something I'm interested in. So Jeff, I want to go back to something you um, brought up earlier. You'd mentioned that uh, as a younger man, as a, you told your mom, you wanted to be a mountain man. And uh, you would also alluded to your partner in readyman.com. So readyman.com is geared around survival and preparedness, um, which again, I think kind of connects to that sort of that desire to be a mountain man and bushcraft and whatnot. Um, and I think it's very valuable to our listeners as well as Keith and I, um, where should people start to get more prepared for emergencies? Um, and obviously there's all different types of emergencies, but where does someone begin if they're not prepared at all? That That's a really good question. And I, and 
it's very specific. So the so the answer without being coy is it depends. And and, and what I mean by that is, you know, there's this season that happens every year in the South called hurricane season. So that's your probability of threat. And I and I equate everything to probability of threat. So if I'm teaching you to clear a building or your house or whatnot, I, I look at the probability of threat. So you as a person, you've got to look at your particular life of where you're at and, and what you're doing and what your probability of threat is. If you're in Florida, that may be a hurricane. If you're in, you know, in some of some of the cities right now, that may be riots. Um, you know, if you're in right. California, that may be that may be fire. So where do you go to um start getting prepared. First and foremost, what we tell people is any preparedness plan, any good preparedness plan starts with a base level of fitness. You have to be able to move yourself and your loved ones out of harm's way. I, we do not take on the whole, you know, super secret commando um, genre on stuff like this. You just need, you need a level of fitness that if your kid that you're with, your five-year-old can't walk anymore, you can put him on your back and get him out, him or her out of danger's way. And so base level of fitness, and that's something that, you know, and, and people ask us all the time what the best level of fitness is and, and or best fitness is. And I tell people, whatever motivates you to get your butt off the couch, that is the best exercise plan that you can do. It doesn't matter if it's yoga, tai chi, mixed martial arts, or CrossFit, doesn't matter. Whatever's getting your butt off the couch that motivates you, inspires you, that's what you should do. So first and foremost, that's what people can do. And anybody can literally do that right now, today, starting, you know, reset, go now. Because there's about a bazillion YouTube videos on there with very reputable um, instructors that are on there. So I'd say start with your, start with your, uh, your fitness. And then the, the next thing that, that we go over, you know, ignore it, you know, we're going to put off a little bit as far as, um, you know, the, the threats like fire and violence and whatnot, because the probability of threat for the vast majority of people is mom or dad gets sick, mom or dad get in an accident, mom or dad lose their job. So financial preparedness is, is paramount. Being able to withstand a, a financial hit um, for whatever reason, accident, sickness, you know, whatever, God forbid mom or dad dies, you know, all of a sudden you've got to absorb what those bills are. So getting financially set, getting out of debt, stop using the paycheck to paycheck mentality. And then as you're doing that, that, that very much parallels over saying, Hey, have at least two weeks of food in your house, two weeks, start with two weeks. That's pretty easy. Anybody can do that. And, and start building from there and start learning to rotate through your food. And that can just be canned goods. Canned goods are very inexpensive. And you don't have to do it all at once. And Could I stop you real quick, Jeff, sure. on, on that note? So um, obviously, we've been going through a lot of craziness in this country. And uh, I'm a, a little bit, in, uh, I don't want to say embarrassed, but I, I wish I was a little more prepared in certain ways. But I did get a bit ahead of the curve and I did start to work on some food preparedness. Um, and I think I did a, an okay job. When you say two weeks, I had, I had long had the goal of two weeks and it just never materialized, but it has. Um, what is the, I mean, you know, you see online people have like six months, a year, two years. I mean, like it, you could go nuts, but what in real, like what is a realistic number to say, you know what, this is a feasible number of weeks or months or year to have s- stored up for food in your home? 
So a lot of that depends on how sophisticated you are. So if you're, if you're, if, if you're storing canned foods, um, less, if you're storing long-term foods, obviously longer. I mean, wheat is a miracle food. Um, when it comes to emergency preparedness, I mean, there's pound for pound, it's hard to find another product out there that lasts as long and has the caloric value that wheat does. And so, but you have to know how to prepare it and all of that stuff. So, but I would say, you know, a good goal to shoot for, if you're a Mormon, I live out here in Utah in Mormon country, you know, and, and kind of what they live by for the last hundred or so years is they want to have two years supply. And I'll circle back on that a second. For most people, probably what's feasible, you know, I'd say most people need to start about two weeks. Six months is a great is a great uh, goal to set. Most people won't quite reach that. Is 30 days a fairly, like, is that a, if you have 30 days, are you in pretty decent shape with that? Yeah. For, for most disasters that are out there that are 30 days. Now you've got to, you've got to look at this in a three dimensional sphere, right? And so, and that's where I go back to the two year supply for the Mormons. Are you going to have to live off your emergency preparedness supply for two years? The chances are very slim that that's going to happen. However, if all of a sudden you have family members or loved ones or neighbors that show up on your doorstep because they've been pushed out of the area that has wildfires or hurricanes or something, you've got to have a means or you should have a means to be able to absorb that so that you can help feed those people. So if that makes sense, we're like for me, I'm very community based on on my look at um preparation. And that's primarily because as we were going through in wargaming Black Autumn, the, the biggest deficit that we see in anybody's emergency preparedness plan is, is they do not have a community around them that can help support. You can't do it by yourself. You got to have a family, you got to have a tribe, you got to have a community that's around you. And so that two-year yep. supply, is that to feed you and your family for two years or is that to feed you and your neighbors who are aiding in your security and your work and whatnot for 30 days, you know, right. or 90 days. And that gives you some buffer to rebuild that over, over some time, you know? Certainly. Certainly it does. Yes, absolutely. So you, you get yourself an order, let's say two weeks, let's say a month of food. What's your next order of, of business in preparedness? Skills. Uh, so without a doubt, the most important thing that you can do is, is, acquire skills, learn how to do stuff. And again, what are the best skills that are out there? Whatever inspires you to get your butt off the couch. I mean, if you go to the ready man thing, I hashtag get your butt off the couch with almost all of my posts, you know, obviously we're, we're a little bit heavy on the firearms side, but it doesn't matter any skills that you can pick up. And then also that your family can pick up your, your kids, your wife, you know, you're only strong as the weakest link and your family is very much part of your emergency preparedness plan and get those skills, you know, learn, go out and go camping with your family. One, you'll get closer to your family and you'll have a fantastic time. But two, going camping is essentially is like, okay, this is a, this is a bug out, re, a bug out rehearsal. Okay. What do we need to take and keep Johnny and Sally happy? And how much food do we need? And, you know, it's a real eye opener for a lot of people once they go out and they spend a weekend out. You know, there's plenty of people that do that, but if you're not doing that, then you should be. And you should be doing it with your with your neighbors or your community that's out there that are mutually supporting you at the same time as well. Um, 
I, I had read that you had recently done a survival training in the Adirondacks. Mike and I are not too terribly far from the Adirondacks. We, we technically live in the Catskills, but um, from what I read, it's you have this three-part system that you call crawl, walk, run. Can, can you tell us a little bit about each of those parts and, and how they advance in your training? Yeah, so that was actually one of our affiliates that was out there that we that we work with. We we work with actually a bunch of different similar businesses. Um, I, I I don't I don't believe in this thing competition. I think the tide rises all ships, and we and I work hand in hand with people that most would say are direct competitors to Ready Man, and it's like I, I don't care. I just I just want people to be better and get along. And, and it's, and I found it's vastly more uh, rewarding doing business that way than it is, you know, trying to be, you know, rice bully and, and uh, competitive with a whole bunch of people. So that was a, that was one of our groups that we team up with. And um, the crawl, walk, run is actually is a, is an army thing. It probably exists all over the military, but crawl, walk, run is you basically, you start off with, with a crawl, you know, you're a baby and then you learn to walk and before you learn to run. And so what that means is you get that you get taught the skills and they get demonstrated to you. Then you start doing the skills and then you, and then you perform the skills under some level of moderate stress all the way up to to high stress. And that's the crawl, walk, run. You can use that ethos for literally any skill that, um, any skill that you want to learn, but primarily with when you start talking like self-defense and infantry tactics and stuff is where it really comes into play. How, how many people do those, you know, those, uh, those, those trainings? You know, it's, it's all over the, it, it it's kind of all over the map. We did a ready man training here, uh, out here in Utah, a few months ago, we had about um, uh, between guys that are participating, and then we had Op Four guys. Another group that we were teaming up with, we probably had thirty people that were out here. We we're um, doing basic basic skills. It was tactical in nature, uh, okay. and then um, you know I donate my time a lot to law enforcement to um, to teach them skills. You know, and so, it, it, you know, it's, it's all over the board. I've taught everything from like two people all the way up to, you know, not long ago, I spoke to about a hundred people and it, okay. you know, it's, it, it's kind of all over the map. Do you do more with, um, like bushcraft and less with sort of like tactical operations? Um, or, or do you do equal parts? Cause I've seen some of your videos and you do seem to do some tactical stuff as well. We, we do. We're, we're, we're biased towards the tactical stuff because I mean, that, that's pretty much my alma mater. I mean, I've taught thousands of men, you know, close quarter battle and how to do light infantry tactics and low vis operations and snatch and grabs and, and all of that, and then performed it with them. So it was, you know, I've held classes with, you know, with these guys taught them and said, okay, now grab your rifle. We're going to go do it for real. And, um, so I've literally, you know, staked my life on my ability to, you know, impart knowledge over to, over to guys that, uh, are getting ready to do the deed. And so we're, we're biased towards the tactical, like, I, you know, it's fun and it's interesting. And then also primarily, especially you look at the times right now, you know, a lot of people are scared, you know, Gun sales are through the roof. First time gun yeah. sales are like historical highs at this point. It's and crazy. so that's where, you know, a lot of people are coming to me and saying, Hey, can you teach me how to use this pistol or that, 
Cool. That makes me really happy to hear that because that's something Mike and I talk a lot about on the show is how do we get these new gun owners involved in, in the movement and how do we get these new gun owners, you know, to understand, you know, the responsibility of, of you know, owning a gun now, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that people are asking you about that. I'll, are, are it, I'll tell you what, the single biggest the single biggest thing you can do to help people out is if they go out and buy a Glock or SIG or whatever – buy an airsoft pistol that is the that is the replica of what they have so that they will actually that they will train and bear with me here for a second we've been beating the drum on airsoft for years now at this point it is it is one of the single best ways to train that that you can pick up now if you treat airsoft like it's a toy it'll be a toy and it's worthless if you treat it like it's a training tool it's unbelievably valuable. You can go into your garage and draw and shoot. Glock now has a airsoft pistol that they recognize as the Glock airsoft pistol. And if I showed it to you, you would think it was, if I showed it to you and handed it to you, you'd think it was a real Glock. It, the cool. weight and the feel, it's an unbelievable advantage that exists today. And especially with new gun owners, go get an airsoft pistol and practice with that airsoft pistol because you're not you're not going to injure anybody. You may hurt somebody, but you know, but that's it. It's going to hurt. You're not going to injure anybody. But now you can, you know, you can build in all of those fundamental skills that you need without all of the stress that's associated with a normal, you know, with a pistol or live ammo of when you're shooting. And that's a whole other discussion about you know, the way the brain works and stressors and whatnot in, in the limbic brain with, with stressors, but it's an unbelievable advantage. And the fact that a lot of them have that blowback feature where it actually like racks the slide, even though it's not going to be real recoil, it does give you some sense of like the gun moving and their moving parts. And you know, um, you can do like, I know you, you can do like force on force training and, uh, you know, I, I think it's cool too. I've actually wanted to get one for a while and I just haven't. Um, I have a couple, I have another training tool I, I like to use. Um, it's for, um, dry fire practice, but, um, I've been meaning to get one, but I think I'm going to be changing my platform soon. So I've, I've sort of held off a bit, but I, I agree with you. I think it's really, it's a cool, uh, a cool tool to have in your training arsenal. You know, the trajectory of the projectile is essentially when we start talking about like five and 10 meters, which is the, which is essentially that's where self-defense encounters are happening. Five meters, right. 10 meters is the out, you know, the outlier. Most of them are close in. The trajectory of the projectile is identical to a real, to a real pistol. And so when you start talking, I, I love training like beginners that don't know anything like soccer moms and accountants and lawyers and stuff that are, you know, that are dudes and whatnot. And because all of a sudden, like I have a saying that's the most important stuff happens from holster to where your two hands marry up in front on the center line. If you get that right, if you get from the holster to the two hands marrying up, if you get that right, then the press out is going to take care of itself and you'll probably be just fine. But most people fail prior to that. And, and airsoft is such an advantage for building that, you know, that muscle memory and those neuro pathways on there on, on your body so that you can all of a sudden become very familiar and and have great fundamentals before you ever fire a live round 
before before we move on just to, to a little bit about Ready Man, I, I just one more question about the, the survival training. When you get to that run section, are you are are they spending you know a, a day or two out outside on their own or, or? Yeah, depending on depending on what we're doing. So we had a Ready Man challenge. Uh, I guess it was about six months ago now, and um, we had different groups that got dropped off in different positions. Everybody had turkey tags. And so they were coming in. So it was a, you know, we gamified it a little bit to where, you know, they were walking with a rifle and they could choose whatever rifle they wanted, shotgun or an AR or whatever, it didn't matter. And then as, as they were walking in, because they had turkey tags, they could shoot turkeys. But then it was also a gathering exercise to where it's like, okay, who can collect the most calories? And then we, then we overlapped on top of that with a combo exercise. So we were using radios so that they had to check in every night. And then also because they were testing when they started out, they were testing their bug out bags. And so now all of a sudden it's like, okay, and you know, when it was fall, it actually ended up snowing on those guys. Do you have enough that you can survive in, you know, in the temperatures that we're in? Can you build a fire? Do you have the skills to do that, even though the stuff is wet? And then are you carrying enough food or too much food and you're getting exhausted? Because out here in the mountains, you know, that that was all taking place at about 6,500 feet above sea level in the mountains. And so again, base level of fitness. This is, this is real survival training. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was all in fun. I mean, you're with a partner sure. when you're, when you're walking and stuff. And, 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 and I, I actually, I, I hate like the, you know, the drill sergeant thing of yelling at people. I, I just, that's just not Jeff at all. And so it's like, Hey man, you know, if you need help, let me know if you don't, you know, and it, and it, and for me, that's worked, you know, for all of my years working with, you know, foreigners, uh, to motivate them to do things that they normally wouldn't. And, I was going to say, you probably get more out of people doing it that way, but it's funny because we've had a couple other, we had a, another, uh, high profile guest that, uh, we're going to drop an episode with soon. And like, very similar, like, uh, mentality. And I was saying like, it, it's, it's funny. I said to Keith that, some of the like guys who have done some of the baddest things on the planet are like the most approachable, nicest guys you've ever met. It's crazy yeah. how that works, yeah. you know? So uh, one of the things that I, I have to tell all the listeners, Jeff, I, I know you will not mind, is if, if you have not been to readyman.com, you have to check this out. Um, first off, thank you for having fat man sizes on the apparel. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> and those survival cards are so cool. So describe what that is, Keith, for the listeners. So it's it's this credit card sized. Um, the way I described it to my dad, I was talking to him about it today, Jeff. Was remember the model, the, the plastic models we all had growing up that you would put together like a car or something like that, and you would twist it off of like you know the plastic to get the wheels off or whatever. It's 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 a survival card like that, but it has a saw and fish hooks or or arrowheads, and uh, it's I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. It's a cool idea. And do you have internal debates at that about that at Ready Man? Like, what goes on the next survival card, guys? No, because I'm um, I'm the guy that develops all of it. So that I'm that. So it's just a debate with yourself. <laughs> like, what what makes sense? You know, I mean, I you know, it's funny. I was at a trade. I love going to trade shows. Um, and um, I was at a trade. You know, because I'm an inventor. Like, I just applied for another patent. Like, literally three hours ago for another thing that I'm, that I'm working on. And, um, I was at a trade show because that's where I get inspiration. 
you know, trade shows and Home Depot are like massive, <laughs> uh, you know, inspiration. And um, and I was at this trade show, and and I and it was an electronics trade show, which I am decidedly not a tech dude, but somehow I ended up there. And um, and there were guys who were making circuit boards, and um, it was one of those things where I looked at, and I was like, hey, can you do other shapes? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, can you do other metals? And they're like, yeah. I was like, okay, I got an idea. And so I got the guy's card and stuff. And then long story short, we ended up with the, the uh, wilderness survival card, which is the one you were talking about. That's got all that stuff that breaks loose. It's half millimeter of stainless steel. And, and one of those really gratifying moments that I had was there's a Canadian YouTube channel and the guys, they're great guys. Right. And they, and they got the card and they were like, ah, we're going to do a review on this card. We think it's hokey and, and, um, but we're going to do a review and, and to their credit, they gave it a, they gave it a solid look. They, and they made arrows with the arrowhead and they shot a stump and they were like, I'll be damned that, that it stuck. It's <laughs> And not only that, they pulled it out and it wasn't bent. And so they shot it again and, and literally their arrow broke before the uh, before the arrowhead ever broke i think they ended up losing cool. it on the stump and the guys were like man this thing's legit i mean we we went into this you know to their credit they're like look we went into this kind of thinking we're gonna make fun of it and like all of a sudden it was like well this, this thing's pretty cool and that was the idea behind it that's cool i thought they were i thought they were really cool and i just was i was like man how do they decide how many fish hooks to put on there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like I saw, I saw like you have like the escape and evasion one, and you have like like he's at the one with the fish hooks. And my big thing was, shit, I'm gonna buy one of these to put in my wallet. Like, which one do I put in my wallet? Like, I don't know which you one gotta I want to put them, in. You got to get them all. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> that that was kind of the idea. Is like people sell survival kits, and I'm not bashing on those guys. I mean, it's an important industry. But if you know you're going into a survival situation, are you gonna have a survival kit with you, or are you gonna have like a proper, you know, rucksack full of stuff that you need? This, this right. is an alternative. It's a, it's a, it's an option. It's, it's, you know, one possibility of many, right? But I, I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. It's a really good idea. Um, That's what it is. It's, yeah. It, it's just like a real. It, it's something different, and um, it's not for everybody, I'm sure. But it definitely is. Uh, you know, a different option that most people haven't thought of. That's listen. Sure. MacGyver was one of the coolest shows I ever thought of, thought when I was a kid, and MacGyver would have those. That's yeah, right. MacGyver was my hero. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so my my next question, Jeff, I want to talk a little bit about um, the Plan to Survive program. Um, it, it's a monthly subscription, right? Yes. And but you know. Can you share a little bit about the concepts and and the things that you're looking for people to benefit of it? I mean, I can see that there, you know, you get access to that 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 plan to survive engine and and the video library, all that stuff. So it looks like there's a lot of content there, but are are people interacting? Is it like a forum or tell me a little bit about it? So the plan to survive is you know plan to survive dot com is um, you know it's our membership. It's it's essentially it's our crown jewel for a ready man. And what, what it is, it's a highly customizable engine um, for you. So, for example, when you're going through and you fill out the profile, you know, maybe you're not worried about wildfires, but you're worried about hurricanes. And, you're, and your budget of expendable cash is, you know, you get 100 bucks a month of expendable cash, not $500. And so what happens is then the search engine uses an algorithm 
So we don't present you with like a $150 Galco holster when your budget is like under a hundred dollars. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, that's I didn't pick that up from, yeah. we, we show you, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, Phobos isn't the best, but you know what? It's good enough. And, and it's within your, your range and, you know, MREs are great, but man, they're, they're stinking expensive or mountain, you know, mountain house. They're, they're fantastic, but they're expensive. But here's an alternative that you can look at that fits within your budget. And then also, you know, when you start talking about hurricanes or wildfires, like all of a sudden, we're not going to tell people worried about hurricanes to have a whole bunch of fire extinguishers sitting around their house. But if you're in wildfire country, then that's one of those things that come up. And so it's a level one through five on the skills. And it's about 1,700 skills and pieces of gear at this point where it's a visual representation to show how well prepared you are in case of whatever the problem is that you yourself dictate to the engine. So if that's cool. And you can make adjustments to that engine based on what you feel your own probability of some of that stuff is? Absolutely, yeah. So it, it very much is, is is applicable to you for your probability of threat. And then it also has, has got a uh, secure feature that's in there. You can reach out to other people in your area. You don't have to. Um, but you can you can come up and reach out to other people in that area because we're so big on, you know, build your community and and put that stuff together that's really cool you got to know who to trust if something like that happens right absolutely yeah you got to know who to trust and you know and it may be you know if if the family that is all of a sudden part of your preparedness community you know if they're on the other side of the valley or something you may not link up with them but you could certainly establish comms with them Mm -hmm. um, so that you could find information we've seen over and over again in history, like I'm a big student of history and, and like Black Autumn and, and all of the subsequent novels past that, we base it all off of history. And, and um, I mean, if you want to see the future, just look to the past and it'll tell you how human beings are going to react. But in one of the things that we see over and over again in survival situations is the need for information. And people just want to have some type of information. I think that's partially because we're very social creatures, uh, you know, in the in the animal world. Um, you know, if you think about it, if we're going to punish somebody, we put them in solitary confinement. Um, you leave them in solitary confinement too long, they'll go insane. So we're, we're very social creatures. And so, and then the information that comes along with that, because information gives people hope and purpose, so they can can continue to strive forward. So, uh, obviously, the name of our show is uh, the Gun Experiment. Um, so, I kind of want to bring this full circle in and talk uh, about firearms for a minute. So, when we talk about <clears throat> survival and the hierarchy of needs, and I don't know them in the order, but I know that it's you know air, water, food, shelter. Um, I know that. Um, part of that is your ability to basically protect all of that. Um, so where do firearms fit into the preparedness and survival piece? Like where, where, um, where is that in line? You know, I think firearms, you know, it's interesting. Do you know who Jeremy Horn is? I don't. So Jeremy Horn is a legend in uh, mixed martial arts. He, most mixed martial artists have, you know, a professional career of about 20 fights. Um, I think Jeremy has close to 200 professional fights. He fought in the UFC. He beat Chuck Liddell. 
that are okay. sort of, he is, he is the nicest guy you could ever meet. And, um, and I was talking to him, he's a good friend. And I was like, Jeremy, tell me, tell me the top, top five things that people need to know, um, to, to protect themselves. So you're talking one of the, one of the history's most lethal man with his hands and his feet. And, and he sat there and he thought for a minute, he goes, don't get in fights, get a gun, learn how to use the gun. Don't get in fights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny how the guys who can fight really try to avoid fighting, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of a lot of them, very, a lot of them do. And so that's where I'd say with, with people, like if you're a 110 pound woman or even 150 pound woman, you're not going to be Jeff. I'm, I mean, I'm 240 pounds and you're, you're just, you know, I've got ham hocks for hands and I fought amateur. You're not going to beat me. I'm, I'm sorry. I can just absorb way more punishment than a smaller frame person can. Sure. Except that a firearm is the biggest equalizer that exists in society today. And so being able to defend yourself with a firearm, you know, there's an old saying that Colt made, you know, uh, God made man, Colt made him equal. I've heard it. It's very true. And so that's where I'd say, you know, that primarily for self-defense, yeah, get a, get a firearm, learn how to use a firearm. But if you're going to buy a firearm, you've got to know how to use it. If you're, if you're adverse to using firearms, then, you know, pepper spray may be a sub, you know, may be an alternative that's there, but know how to defend yourself on there. I, I was really disappointed. Um, it was about two years ago, the hurricanes were hitting in Florida and we got, I got interviewed with uh, Fox news and, um, and the interview went up and, and they asked me some questions similar to this stuff. And, and then, um, we, we posted that on Facebook and there was, there was literally a couple of dozen people that got on and said, my emergency preparedness plan is I have a gun and I'll just take what I need from people. Oh, that's terrible. It, it's actually, I mean, it's, it's horrendous. It's horrific. And I mean, it's not surprising. It's not surprising, given given what's going on in 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 our society today. But uh, sadly, it's, unfor- it's unfortunate. Sadly, so yes, sadly so. So knowing how knowing how to defend yourself and your family, your loved ones, is I mean, is absolutely is paramount. We, we may be social creatures, like you said, but we have just turned you know, and and I'm speaking you know globally, not or I should just say. I'm not saying all countries, but at least this country, we've just become so entitled on so many things like, you know, and, and that, that the way that that statement is prepared it's, it, or, or written is just totally supporting that. I, I firmly believe that the second amendment exists for two reasons in, in one actually ties into the other. If we look at it historically throughout the world, and historically, governments don't all of a sudden become tyrannical governments. It just right. I mean, there's almost no instance of that happening in history. Definitely but, not overnight. Definitely not overnight. But but what happens is neighbors turn on neighbors, and then through you know through unrighteous domain and violence and uh, you know and just leaning on these people and. 
all of a sudden they become the ones that become in power and there's a switch in power. And we've seen this over and over again. We saw it with the Bolshevik revolution. We saw it with the people's revolution. We saw it with Khomeini revolution. We saw it with, you know, we saw it in uh, Cuba. We see it over Mao, Ho Chi Minh. We see it over and over again. And so I, I firmly believe that the second amendment exists primarily to defend ourselves against our neighbors that would then all of a sudden want to come in and try and strip our rights away. Think about it. If the Jews in the ghetto of Poland had been armed in 1939, 1940, would World War II have even ever happened? You're talking good question. Millions of people's lives, not just the Jews that were killed in the Holocaust, but you know, all the Russians and the Germans and all of the, you know, allies and the Axis, you're, you're talking a war quite possibly could have been averted if people could have been able to defend themselves. I just read something today and I think <clears throat> my numbers might be slightly off, but, or quite a bit off actually, they could be, but I want to say the number was a billion guns in civilian hands worldwide and the U.S. has half of them. That's probably pretty close. It's yeah. And, and what, like there's 300, think, 330 million people in America today, 340 yeah. million people, something like that. So when you think of that number, and then you add on top of that our actual military, it's a pretty, you know, like China has the biggest man force in the world. But if you include all the civilian gun ownership in this country, it's not even close. You know, so to, to your point, I think that it it raises the sort of self-reliance that is, I think, a little bit in our DNA as a country. You know, we're that's sort of in the fabric of who we are and how we became the country that we are. I, you know, I, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. So, um, can you just uh, real quick um, give us uh, all your online stuff and let people know where they can find you and uh, if they're looking to to get more prepared? Yeah, a- absolutely. So, I mean, I have a I have a couple of different interests. Um, you know, readyman.com is obviously is one of them, the plan to survive. If, uh, if people need a checklist or a guide to go through, or they can just reach out to us directly and, and we'll help. We help people out all the time. And then I also own full 30 F U L L three zero.com, which as YouTube is continuing to censor and suppress gun content, we are picking up more and more of those guys. So we're essentially the YouTube for guns and we're in the process of expanding that out um, because we want to protect the first amendment and freedom of speech and give people a platform where they're not going to have to worry about being suppressed or censored. And we built this platform from the ground up. I own the IP. And so you don't have to worry about Amazon or JW player or YouTube or any of those other guys sitting, you know, sitting and not liking you and suppressing or censoring what it is you have to say, as long as you're not, long as you're not hurting kids or doing anything illegal, have at it. What what is the what is the full thirty stand for? I had not heard of this. I just pulled it up. It's it's uh, pretty interesting. What is it does it have a meaning? Uh yeah, full thirty, thirty round magazine. Okay. Yeah, but we don't we, we, we don't know what they are here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, that, uh, it's funny. My wife's in New York, right? I didn't know you guys were in New York. But um but uh, yeah, that's that's that was the genesis of it, and uh, we've been we've been around for about five years now, and we are days away from our refurb, where we're going to open it up, and we're creating a place that content creators, gun 
2A friendly content creators can go and they can not worry about getting shut down. And we're actively working towards ways that those individuals can monetize and make money so that the, the gun industry takes care of the gun industry and that, you know, why, why pay somebody else for, uh, you know, for your gear when they hate the two a and they hate freedom of, uh, freedom of speech, you know, do that, do that business with other people in the two a community. And, and we're very close to getting ready to launch it like literally days away from the, uh, from the refurb. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing that. And just to recap, so it is readyman.com and plan to survive.com. Correct. Uh-huh. And yep. then full 30.com f u l l three zero the number three zero dot com like a third beautiful beautiful okay cool so listen jeff we have a little uh game that we play on this uh on this show and we were hoping that you would play with us it's called run and gun and i'm gonna ask you 10 rapid fire questions and you give us the first answer that comes to your mind you willing to play that yeah, it's just like a Freudian uh, Freudian. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't had that happen yet, but you're welcome to be the first. <laughs> yeah, we won't be offended. I promise. All right, here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Uh, I've got an AK that's a Dragunov that was built by Occam Defense, and I absolutely love. It. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Who you know, if money was no object, I'd probably buy a couple of more Robinson Armament um, rifles. If you're not familiar with Robinson Armament. He took the guts of an AK and put it into an M4 platform. It's more sophisticated than that, but that's the easiest way of thinking about it. It's a fantastic platform. I own a couple of them um, and really enjoy that one. It's an expensive rifle, but uh, you know, if money was no object, that's probably I'd probably buy a couple more Robinsons. Cool. If you could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be? <laughs> with no hesitation would be Vladimir Putin. Wow. wow. That's a new one. It's, yeah. it's on par with some of the other ones, but it's... That's, Interesting. That's All right, so we're going to rapid fire these off. You ready? Yep. Number four, favorite caliber? Uh, 7.62.39. Favorite hobby not gun-related? Reading. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Immortality. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or Trained. Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Oh, rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Man, that's a good one. I'd, I'd probably go with with Aaron Hawley or Travis Hall or a couple of other dudes that were in the counter-terrorist unit with me. Wally, Wally Tussolim. Without a doubt, the guy that have my back, Wally Tussolim. Let's mix it up. All right. So uh, today on Let's Mix It Up, we are going to kind of shift gears, but also stay on the track that we've been going with you, Jeff. And I have a saying that I, I kind of throw around on the show quite a bit. And it goes something along the lines of that the gun is merely a tool and that the human is the weapon. And... I don't know how you feel about that, but that's that's kind of like my my uh, ethos and my philosophy. Totally agree. So, as we start to build this more perfect human weapon, where should we allocate our time and money? Because let's be honest, there's only so many hours in a day, 
and there's only so much money in your wallet. And some areas that I've sort of earmarked is you have, and again, this isn't creating this sort of perfect human weapon. No particular order. Yep. You have shooting, you have grappling, you have striking, you have medical training, fitness, diet. I added bushcraft because of what, what you do hostage evasion and survival. So those are just some, doesn't have to include all those, but those are just some things that I kind of rattled off. There could be things we could add, but where would we start? And, you know, what are, you know, how much time and money would you spend into each of these kind of categories or, and we can drop some of them as well. And I'm going to let you kind of have the mic, Jeff. I'm going to guess Jeff is going to pick fitness first. You know, I'm going to pick whatever inspires you first. And, and what I mean by that is if you're in a wheelchair, you're going to have a hard time with fitness. I've got a brother that lost his leg. And so, um, you know, fitness is difficult for him. And, and so figuring that out. And so that's where I go back to the best fitness plan is the one that inspires you. The best martial art is the one that inspires you. The best gun is the one that inspires you. And so I would say the best place to start is the one that inspires you, but don't get pigeonholed in that one would be my advice. What I find, so so just I'll give you a little bit of background. So obviously I'm a gun owner. I do some shooting. Um, I do a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, I would like to start striking, but I have not yet. Um, minimal medical training, but a, a hair. And I and I work out fairly regularly, you know, a few couple times a week. But I find it hard to balance that. And I'm, and I'm sure that people that are out there listening, I'm sure that they find the same thing. And again, there's money involved. Like I would love to take a bunch of shooting classes from a bunch of different instructors, but it gets expensive. So, you know, where do we strike this balance? I mean, what do you think, Keith? I mean, like, you know, where, how do you feel about this? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion personally that, you know, I, Again, I and I guess I am not realizing and kind of doing a little bit about what Jeff's saying is he's doing what kind of inspires me is we all know, at least anyone that listens to the show knows that I'm not much of a fitness type person. Sure. Um, I, I, I don't think I've, you know, run 10 miles in my entire life. Um, but uh, I, I was big on preparing. I, I, you know, we, we just, we talked about uh, that I have a bug out location that I, I talk about that. I, I do have that plan. Um, you know, I prepare for it. My wife is prepared for it, you know, those kind of things. So that, that's kind of where I spent a big portion of my time, um, you know, in the beginning of, of, of this. And, uh, and then, you know, as time is permitting, I've, I've added in firearms training for that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning more about surviving, uh, with, um, uh, food in in the wilderness and and how to, you know, uh, maintain life from that. <laughs> so yeah. and you I'm you and I have we we had uh, we had on uh, someone from with medical gear and we actually have a guest coming up very soon on medical training and you and I have talked about that like adding that yeah, to our we, repertoire. You know, it's something we we, we, we both have I, made a we've made a commitment to do that by the end of this year that we're, yeah. we're going to do. You should, you should absolutely you should add that. But again, this illustrates of why a community is so incredibly important. If I have a surgeon or a, you know a general practitioner doctor that's living down the street, I don't care if that guy knows how to use a rifle. Right, right. Because he's yep. super valuable as as a doctor and what he is. And it's like, hey doc, just stay in your house. We'll take care of the other stuff. But when we get sick or we get hurt or or injured, 
you're 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 up you're up to plate and you you got to start swinging and so that's where it's like building your community is so 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 incredibly important that's a that's another light bulb that kind of is going off as you're as you're saying it and it's something that i think you know i've done as well is you you know my my bug out location we've had him on the show he's a farmer you know and he knows how to you know, uh, do things that I just don't know how to do, but I know to do, how to do things that he doesn't know how to do. And we've absolutely talked about how we play off of those traits. So I, I think that's a that's great advice to, on how to spread this daunting task out. Jeff, do you think you can become so? Like, if you shoot, um, you know, once once a month, and you do some dry fire practice, and then maybe you take one class a year, and you do, like I said, maybe like a, like a little MMA, like uh, you know, a couple times a week, and you take a medical training course here and there, and you work out. Like, do you think that someone, like, obviously, you're not going to be a professional MMA fighter. You're not going to be. Maybe you're not going to be a doctor because you took one stop the bleed course or one, you know, one one um, CPR class. But do you think that that is enough to make someone well rounded that they could handle a lot of bad situations is that possible or is, are you kind of am i fooling myself in thinking that i because i took a couple of courses here and there that i'm well-rounded enough to do that i think you know so rats tourniquet is a perfect example here so i i invented the rats tourniquet is one of my patents and um and when i teach tourniquet classes i have a bag that is full of tourniquets of different types and sizes and that have been used all over the world. I have tourniquets from everywhere from Russia to Italy, from all over the current tourniquets that are in the, and I tell people the best tourniquet is the one that you have on you. And if you don't have one on you, then you got to figure out how to make one work, um, in a hasty situation. And the, and so going back to what you're, what you're talking about is, Having having a wider and special forces, we say the master of nothing, jack of all trades, master of nothing. Yep. If you if you have enough filing, so the brain files information in, like a filing cabinet, right? And and anytime you reach a new situation or a new stimulus, whatnot, your brain tries to categorize that somewhere in that thing. So based off of what you've just said, yes, that makes a lot of sense because you've got a broad breadth of information. You know, you're not aspiring to get into the ring and be a professional fighter. You just want to be ta- you just want to be able to take care of yourself. Well, all of a sudden you're like 90% above most people when it comes to yeah. combat. Yeah, and we actually see that a lot like in the gym like and I, I say it all the time I'm my harshest critic but you know, I go against guys that are equal in terms of time on the mats, but they're just physically bigger than me. And it is hard. It is hard no matter what, you know, but I've definitely had a couple of situations that come to mind where, um, a brand new guy off the street comes in and it's like, wow, like I can't believe how well I'm able to do against this person. That's twice my size because they just have no clue what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like not even a, not even a, an ounce. And, um, if, and if you take that, like I, I studied jujitsu for a long time and, and, um, it, it's the same thing with any of the other skills that are out there. And if you get, if you get a good fundamentals baseline on those skills, 
all of a sudden, when you need to adapt those skills to the situation that you're in, you're far ahead. So what's interesting is I, I give a speech to people and I call it the three pillars of preparedness or the three pillars of, of leadership. But, you know, it's psychological, emotional and and um, physical. And, and they have downstreams that, that come from them as well. And, and it's integrating all of those things together so that you've got a good emergency preparedness plan. And, and as you're moving, as you're, as you're going down the road for preparedness, the, the more you can accommodate for what experience you're running into that may be completely unknown, but it's close to something that you're familiar with you're going to do well. So for example, in World War II, the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, which was the predecessor to the Green Berets and also to the CIA, when you know they were sending these guys out on missions, guys and gals, by the way, they were sending them out on missions that were the most hair-raising stuff you could ever imagine. And they were constantly trying to figure out what is the number one predictor that these agents, these OSS officers, are going to be successful and not in, in success meant that they survived. Like literally they'd get two guys and they would drop them into the middle of the jungle of Burma with instructions saying, okay, round up the local indige, build an army and then go fight the Japanese. Good luck. And you know, it's like <laughs> call in once in a while with radio. And so they did all these studies in to figure out what, what made the best OSS operator when they got finished, they figured out, it wasn't the fastest, it wasn't the smartest, it wasn't the most intelligent. It was the ones that were the most creative, had the highest chance of surviving in those extremely crazy, weird circumstances that the OSS were finding themselves. The only way to get true creativity is you need to be a jack of all trades and a master of yeah. yeah, Yeah, not, not trying to boil it down like too simplified, but it's it's diversity right making sure that you're you know getting a little bit of as many different of these aspects that we've mentioned and what we're talking about as well as making your own personal goal to be better than average if you do those things you're gonna be in really good shape i say all the time like it's it's a thing you say like when you train on the mats but i think it's in general like you know like could you take the version of you a year ago now you know what i mean whatever whatever it is whether it's fighting or whether it's definitely you know, if you got in a gunfight with the version of you from a year ago would you come out the victor and i think as okay. long as that answer is yes is an honest yes i think you're on the right track of these things absolutely because the only competition that exists is self-improvement outside of that it's just ego and bs yeah definitely it's time for top gear let us test it before you invest it. So my product today is, uh, it's an off-body carry system that I sort of put together. Um, I was not a big fan of off-body carry, not something I wanted to delve into, but I was coming up with these scenarios or these places where I wanted to carry and it just, I needed a, an off-body carry system. Um, the example I gave way back when on this show was I go bowling and it's just, hard to bowl with something strapped on your hip. And what do I do in that situation? So that was the kind of the scenario I painted. And I finally broke down and came up with a system. So my system's a two-part system. The bag is a Kelty sling bag and the holster is um, an alien gear 
hook and loop backed uh, holster. And I put them together, I married them together to kind of create this, this system. And the pros of the system are A, it's like a sling bag. So it's it's a good size, but it's not it's not gigantic, but it's a good size. You can definitely carry obviously a gun, a couple magazines. There's an, a different pocket so you could put a tourniquet or some med supp- supplies in it, but it's not gigantic. You're not gonna get a ton of stuff, but it, it you could definitely carry a good amount of things. Um my number one reason for picking this bag is it's a Kelty bag and it really blends into civilian environments. And what I be, what I mean by that is it doesn't have molly all over it. It doesn't have like this kind of like tactical look. Say 511 on it or something. Yeah, ex- exactly. It it basically looks like something that like a crunchy granola hipster would have in, you know, in hipster town USA. Perfect. Um, it's exactly, I mean, it's like, it's like kind of like this hokey green color. Like it's, it's perfect. Um, I went with the alien gear holster over some other choices. And the reason I did it is because alien gear gives you free shell swaps for life. So I know the firearm I have right now is not going to be the firearm I have in the next couple of years. I want to change to a different platform. And I said, I'm going to buy this holster for $45 and then I'm going to have to get rid of it. Well, with this, I just swap out the shell. They do it for free. And I can change it to whatever platform I, I move over to. And that was my reasoning for that. Um, the holster also comes with three um, 3M backed uh, hook pads. And you, I'm sorry, loop pads. And you can actually put them onto different surfaces. And then you can, you know, you could take it off of your bag and put it onto your, whatever, your nightstand or inside your console of your car. So that that was kind of cool. The only cons that I had for it was and I think this is just a con of off-body carry is it is a little slow to the draw. Um, you're definitely not going to beat anybody in a, in a draw. Um, that's for sure. And it would take a little bit of practice. Um, and I was originally hoping I could kind of wear it in the front of my body if I wanted to, but it is a little bulky. It, it looks you can't a little wear strange. that in the front of your body. It looks a little strange. It would look but, strange. Yeah, but I mean, you're gonna bring back you, the fanny packs with this uh, off body. Hey man, fa- fanny packs are back, man. I got news for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but w- but what you could do, and what I would do, is if I was at like somewhere where there was uh, off and on, like no crowds and crowds, like let's say like a festival or a fair or something like that, um, I might wear it on my back. But if I got into real crowded areas, I might kind of sling it in front of me, you know, for temporarily. So that's kind of like a workaround. It was a little pricey, um, but overall not terrible. The bag was fifty five dollars, and the holster was forty five dollars and eighty eight cents. So, so you're in this thing for a hundred bucks. In for a hundred bucks, and it solves a, a problem. It's a workaround to a problem, at least in my mind. Um, I have links in the show notes for anybody that's interested. I do. The bag is awesome. Um, they're both awesome, but you know, you, you have get to a picture of this out for Instagram too. So I, I, I'll definitely it. throw it out there. But. Um, it's definitely, you know, you have to be into off-body carry. I never was. Jeff, how do you feel about off-body carry? It has its place. I mean, sometimes, just like what you said, sometimes you just can't have it on your body. And, and you know what I mean? Probability of threat, right? So it's like the probability that your shirt's going to hike up and reveal that you're carrying when you don't want to reveal that you're carrying is probably much higher in, in some instances. Like, you know, bowling or something like that. And so, yeah, off body carry. I mean, probably everybody that's listening is at one point or time carried a pistol in their glove box. Well, that's off body carry. Right. You know, and you're not going to win any quick draw competitions, but at least it's there. You've got it. 
Yeah, I've only used it once so far, and I, I'll tell you where it was. I went to the park with my kids. And, you know, my kids, like, they want me to push them on the swings. They want me to pick them up and put them up onto the, the monkey bar. And I just, it's very hard to carry it and feel comfortable doing all that stuff with them. So I, I slung it on my back. You know, there was very few people there anyway, but it made me feel like I had it on me and it was within reach, but it, it made it a more enjoyable experience with my, my family. And that's where I used be, it. Is there any limitations in platforms, you think, or you pretty much get anything you need in there? Uh, I mean, like if you had like a Glock 17, it might be a little tight. You might have to like tweak the way that you carried it, but any compact or subcompact would easily fit in there, you know? And, um, but that goes like, it's like anything like, you know, most people aren't carrying a Glock 17 on their, on their side, you know, or appendix. Some people, I mean, I, uh, you know, I carry full size, you know, every so but I'm, I'm a big guy, you know, yeah, six, six, two. (laughs) Us little guys don't have those problems. Yeah. We just go subcompact all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. So, so Jeff, you have a product for us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, and it's more of a, a genre thing. So keeping within the, you know, keeping within the mindset of bushcraft, I'm a, I'm a big fan of tomahawks. And so I, you know, I was going to bring up the American tomahawk, the Vietnam tomahawk. So recently, um, you know, there's been a few of those over the last couple of years, but recently, American Tomahawk Company has been resurrected, and they're now producing the VTAC again, the Peter Lagana VTAC. It's got a spike on the back as well as a small head. It's a small, lightweight um, Tomahawk that's that, that's a multi-use tool. So we use them, um, that, that particular Tomahawk we used overseas. Um, it was a very light breaching tool. We'd use it to everything from dig out chunks of walls looking for caches to, you know, breaching doors. I mean, obviously it's not going to, it's going to take a while to breach your doors and stuff, but at least it was a tool that was lightweight and small enough that you could use. And, um, it's the one that, one that I have, I, I actually helped them develop the uh, synthetic candle way back when, uh, when it came along, but, um, Tomahawk's a fantastic multi-use tool that you can use for just incredibly so many things in bushcraft as well as you know survival or or you know processing a deer or an elk or something like that along the lines too as well as man it's fantastic you know urban tool for breaking windows or or getting through a door or chopping i like when i was in iraq on the you know, on the invasion, I, I actually used mine to chop through a wall because we didn't want to go out into the hallway because of the threat. And so I just started chopping through walls to go through walls. I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's a great multi-use tool that, you know, has come back in some regards, but, um, so that's it. Yeah. The American Tomahawk company's, uh, VTAC. And their pro first public apology guarantee is awesome. What is that Keith? If you if you go onto their website, they have this uh, profuse. I'm sorry, prof. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, profuse public apology guarantee. And uh, I don't want to read it word for word, but it, it's pretty funny. Everybody should go out there and check that out. I, I almost <laughs> want to take advantage of it and see if it's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm looking. So looks like, are they like wood handled? Some of Jeff? them are, but some of them are synthetic. They have both. So they're synthetic. So it's an injection molded handle. So in terms of tomahawks, the first synthetic handled tomahawks were the American tomahawk, and that was the okay. one that I helped them develop way back when um, with the VTAC. And now um, they're they're hickory handled. Everything's made in 
America. It's made in Tennessee and, you know, at a forge down there and as well as the hickory that's put together. And I mean, it's hundred percent U.S. American made manufacturing and materials and all that. What do they go for? Like, what does one of those run? Do they have the price on there? I, I think. Yeah, they're... it looks about 180 bucks, 190 bucks. Okay. So, so it's I mean, pricey. That was, it's at least pricey. A, that was at least a wood one. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're a little yeah, but it... expensive. I mean, RMJ Forge, um, anybody that's into tomahawks knows RMJ Forge. They are their partners on the uh, American Tomahawk with a VTAC as well. So they're the ones that are actually manufacture that. Interesting. I mean, it's yeah. definitely a high quality. Oh yeah, it's made in America. It's pretty cool. I'm looking at it. It's pretty cool looking. I'll tell you what, they look they look cool though. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just like want to have I, like one, I just want to have one hanging in my den. Like it's pretty cool looking. That uh, hickory burnt uh, burnt hickory uh, look. That one's really cool. Yeah. What, do you like the synthetic handle, Jeff, or do you like the wood handle? Synthetic handle. I'm I'm a heavy utilitarian type guy. Sure. So yeah, the synthetic handle for at least for me is is way to go. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so I just want to, uh, thank you one more time for being on the show. I mean, you know, it's, it's not every day that, uh, that you get someone with your resume on, on a show like this and, and, um, you know, thank you for sharing all your knowledge with us and your experiences and yeah, we're small uh, potatoes. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, we were, you're, 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 you made our night. That's for sure. But, uh, I just want to get your, your info one more time. So it's readyman.com and give us the other ones really quick. Uh, readyman.com plan to survive.com full 30.com um probably the top three i, I mean i I'm involved are you on instagram or uh, facebook we are so readyman we're on instagram it's readyman network on instagram and then um and then readyman uh media on facebook you can check us out there we're not as active on facebook just because they constantly like to suppress us but um, we have a closed group called the Ready Ready Men Closed Group, and uh, people can get in there and request entrance. And a lot of discussions that are going on inside there right now. It's really interesting. Very cool. Well, uh, you know, definitely if you're out there listening, make sure you go and check those out. I've actually I heard of Full Thirty before uh, I even knew you owned it, and uh, I think it's awesome that you're out there doing that because it's just a shame you know keith and i had a guest on and we talked about social media and how they want to have their cake and eat it too and they want to you know they don't want to be a publication but they don't want to be a platform either they kind of want to have both and i think it's great that you're providing an opportunity for um first amendment and second amendment freedom and thank you very much for doing that i really do appreciate it absolutely i mean it's i mean it's it's freedom right it's what it's all about freedom baby i love it so to everyone listening we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to listen to our show you can find links in the show notes to all of our social media so be sure to follow us on instagram facebook and twitter so we can keep the conversation going and thank you new zealand yeah new zealand you're in the house and we appreciate it with that we're out take care guys